And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We also have podcasts that are available not only at richarddugan.com, but SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. We have a YouTube channel where you can watch these interviews. YouTube channel is Richard Dugan and Tell Me Your Story. And we hope that you will also subscribe to either or both of the podcasts and videos Casts, so that you will be notified every time there is a new interview posted. And uh, we also ask that if you can do so to support the work that we're doing financially, we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And we have another invitation for you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, where we ask you to go within uh, to listen to that still small voice. Our guest today is uh, Reiner Lohmann. I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. You are the author of Aspire, Seven Essential Emotions for Leading Positive Change, no matter where you are. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Richard. It's, I'm really excited to be here. It's a very interesting title, Aspire, um, uh, which is obviously different than Inspire. Uh, tell us uh, about uh, what it is that you want to achieve through this process to aspire to. What are we, what are we, are we just aspiring to uh, a better world? Yes, I, uh, it, it is as simple as this. Now, the world might be... Um, defined differently by, by each person, right? Like uh, the world might be the family, it might be the circle of friends, it might be the community, it might be uh, the organization somebody works in, a startup or a mid-sized or large organization, or somebody might look at the whole nation, you know, like uh, the United States or any other country or the whole world. So yes, in this sense, uh, no matter where anybody is in, in their life or in their location and how much change they aspire to create, uh, but it is focused on positive change, uh, something that is really good for humanity and for society. Well, it is something that uh, we certainly do indeed uh, aspire to, and we encourage people certainly to find out more about our authors and what it is that they have to offer. And uh, you are just one of many, but you are the one who is here with us now. You know that when I receive these books uh, uh, from the publishing company or for the PR firm, they sometimes will insert, you know, the flyer, the, the little press release, you know what I'm talking about? And they'll yeah. put it in the book. Sometimes they just put it in the front cover, which doesn't really have a lot of meaning. But a lot of times they'll place it somewhere in the middle of the book. Now, they're just flipping it open and putting it in there. But I'm a person who does not believe in coincidences. I believe in coincidences. So they put this here between the pages 26 and 27 of your book, Aspire. And the particular paragraph, if you will, on this page is on your way to leading change. So let's start there because um, we need to know where it is that we are going. So everybody 
wants to change the world, uh, sometimes you might say in their own image, you know, sort of as a humorous thing. Uh, but and, and your version of change or your vision is going to be different than mine. So how do we cooperate, coordinate so that we're not working against each other? whilst trying to build a, a better world and change it for the better for for everybody it's that's your question right that how is my we, question i know it's a big we, one yeah <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah it is a big question and i i need to i had uh, um when, when i was in my mid mid career i had a, a long a corporate career in, in like as an entrepreneur, both as an entrepreneur, which people that start businesses with inside a large company, as well as an entrepreneur. And in, I would say in, at the height of my, my corporate career of, of starting business and growing them globally, I, I was uh, helped to start HP software business uh, and grow it over a period of 24 years, helped to grow it into a multi-billion dollar business. And with that, I I, I traveled quite a bit uh, around the world and uh, and and you know, at that time, I was responsible for running the, the global uh, alliances organizations for HP software business. And one of those, doing one of those trips, um, I I, did, I had these sleepless nights because of chat lag. <laughs> and uh, you have a lot of time for reflection and so on. And I had this moment where I turned on the TV and uh, and, and I don't like to, to watch senseless thing. I watched something. I thought, if I watch something, let's watch something of value. And I watched a documentary about Africa uh, about an ethnic war where uh, like one tribe, one ethnic, one ethnic tribe was raging through the village of another tribe and cutting off the arms of every little child they could get their holds of and um, tears running down, running down my, my, my face because I had a little son at home at that time. Now I have a daughter, I have two children and I have a grandchild too, but it got, I emphasize so much with the father than the mothers of those children. Now the documentary showed as brutal as it is, the children later then running around the whole village, the, the children didn't have arms. And, and it, it, it realized, I realized that uh, we are all connected. So my actions are connected to somebody else there, knowing what's going on in the world. It's not the only issue that, that I realized was going on. Uh, I, I have had to do something about it. So, so I took a step back. I went back to school. I, I still continued in the management roles and so on, and 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 uh, you know, growing software businesses around the world. But I took a step back and said, I need to learn more about the world. So I went to one of the first. I think it was the first school in sustainability, like giving sustainable MBAs, um, how you can make the world a better place. And in that process, it was very interesting. We had always these uh, meetings where all the experts, sometimes worldwide experts, came together one night and we discussed all these big issues. And, and then the facilitator asked, what do you think is the biggest issue in the world? And then people got up one after the other. I got up too and raised my hand. And everybody said something different. Everybody thought there was a big... So back to your question... Everybody thought we need to focus on something else. Now, what I learned over the years and, and in systems theory was that the things relate to each other. So if you talk about climate change or social justice, or we talk about uh, education or healthcare, 
like all these things are interrelated. Uh, social justice, um, a lot of you know economic uh, issues and so on, they're all interrelated. So what I, over time, realized, I, I don't think I want to focus on one issue. It really doesn't matter on which issue I focus on. It will affect positive, as long as it is positive change, it will affect positively all the other issues because of the, 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 the interrelationship uh, of these big challenges we have. And in the second step, I said, I, I had worked on, on single issues, solving problems, technology and innovation wise and so on. And I said, I, rather than me to lead a specific area, I wanna be a multiplier. I wanna multiply leaders. So I, I, I wanna develop leaders. I wanna mobilize them. And that's the work that I'm doing today as an executive coach. I want to mobilize and uh, and develop leaders as many as possible. And I don't care from which side they address the issues of the world to make the world a better place. It will all come together as long as there are enough people working on it. So that's kind of my, this was my insight. Now, every, uh, every person that I coach or any group that I teach uh, about uh, leading change in a positive way and, and, uh, the people that go through my programs at the end, they become uh, their circle of influence increases. They have an effect on others. They become multipliers itself. And it's a wonderful ripple effect. So that's kind of um, how I overcame that, that issue saying, what should we work on? What is more important? Now the vision that you're referring to the vision of, of, of a world uh in my opinion, we need to go higher with our vision to a higher purpose, something that is beyond just maybe living a successful life needs to go to, is there something that's more at the spiritual level that has meaning for people? Mm. And what I realized there, because I worked in multiple cultures and I still do today, and you know, I work in, I have indigenous clients, leaders, indigenous leaders, I have corporate leaders, I have startups, I have women, men, and young and older, and mid mid age, and 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 one thing is that I that that I observe at a higher level we come all together. We are as human beings we're searching for meaning in life, and that's where we come together. Uh, and and when the, the the deeper we are talking about the issues, we are more divided, right? But the higher we come about the meaning of life, then it's easier to come together. Reiner Lohm is my guest here on the program, boomerangcoach.com. We're going to find out why it's named that. He's the founder thereof, Boomerang Coach. Uh, it's an executive coaching firm specializing in leadership and career development, innovation, as well as transformational change. And his mission, <clears throat> as he is sharing with us, is to mo mobilize and develop leaders uh, to create a more sustainable and positive future for all as we just uh, as he just shared with us and we certainly hope that you folks will go to that website and uh, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things in terms of uh, uh, how we can lead change from wherever we are wherever you are which is sort of the subtitle of the book aspire aspire a-s-p-i-r-e uh, it is uh, seven essential uh, seven essential emotions for leading positive change, as I just said, no matter where you are. And where we are right now is on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And 
Uh, Reiner, I want to thank you so much, uh, Reiner Loam, for joining us here on the program. Uh, this is interesting because I just finished an interview talking about leadership uh, and and the leadership qualities that are needed. Uh, but um, and, and in a manner of speaking, we all will be leaders at some point in our lives. It may be for a short period of time. It may be for an extended period of time. Uh, it may not even be by our choice per se, although um, every choice that we make as we move on through this life prepares us for the next step and the next step and puts us where we are. So if, if you find yourself in a leadership role, it's on you because you made the choices that put you there in a manner of speaking. Uh, but you'll look at it and go, how the heck did I get here? Well, you, you, know, you might look back a little bit. Hindsight's twenty twenty, so use that twenty twenty vision and look back and see what choices you made. Let's talk a little bit about being a leader. In your perspective, in your from your observations, and obviously from the book Aspire, what does it mean to be a leader? And maybe even more importantly, what does it mean to be a, a leader that is worthy to be followed? Wonderful. These are uh, two wonderful questions. Uh, the, the, the first slide, the first, uh, the first question and, and, and the answer that I would give in, in, a, in, in short is somebody that has a positive vision, a leader that has a positive vision uh, of the future, a change. It could be any challenge, uh, small, medium-sized, big, as I said earlier in terms of the scope, and then uh, mobilizing and inspire people uh, to help create that change uh, and, and coordinating effective actions to, to create, to make that, that, that change vision reality. That, that's the first one. Uh, that would be my short answer. But in terms of the, your question about what makes it worth it to be, uh, to be a leader, in my opinion and my observation, I have seen many different types of leaders. A leader uh, should be committed to serve, to serve others. Uh, he, should be, um, he should care, as I write, and, and aspire as well. But in order to care, somebody needs to empathize, uh, able to empathize with with other people. You should be compassionate, which means it's a commitment to serving the needs of others. You want others to do better. To, to, you, you care about their well-being and you're committed to help create it. And you should be really interested in, uh, in other people and their needs. Uh, so a leader that is just in it for them himself to, um, for, for, for their own advancement, now everybody has to live and everybody needs to think about themselves as well as part of the larger, you know, greater good. Everybody might, some might have family and so on to take care of. But it is really, I think the important thing is that somebody is committed to serve, which in general people talk about servant leadership, but it is the commitment to serve. And the foundation of that is that you care about others. The caring part for some can be a big challenge. Um, how, if, if one does not have, let's say, that capacity, if that's the right word to use, is, is there a way to develop that capacity for, uh, for change, for, you know, for, for that? Yeah, and, and it, it sounds, you know, sometimes we observe that people have a hard, hard time to, 
uh, to care uh, about certain people, right? So uh, very often uh, we have a hard time uh, caring about those that are not part of our core, of our family, of our community or our country even, or our ethnic or religious group, right? And what I have observed, and, and I see that also when I coach leaders, if somebody, and, and if somebody learns to empathize, empathize, and, and I talk about emotional empathy so that you can feel the feelings of another human being, even if you're not caring about that person initially, that empathizing, that feeling that I described earlier with, with the people in Africa that I had no relationship with. They were total strangers for me and I didn't even meet them in person. I just saw them on the screen and I learned to care. I did not care for them about them or for them an hour before or an hour later, tears came, came down running my face because I saw we are the same. And we have the same feelings. I was the father. They were the fathers were holding the hands of their children and things like that. And so, so in my observation in, in, in the work and also for me in my own development, you can learn to care if you learn to empathize. And, and uh, empathy, empathy is, is an emotion. It's the foundation. Many say this is the most important leadership emotion uh, to learn. Um, I, I would say it's one of them. It's not the only one. Because if you just stop with empathy, you might just suffer with everybody and not do anything about it. But it is the foundation to, to caring and it can be learned. So that has even, the, you know, uh, psychology, uh, emotional psychology and, and research has shown that. Hmm. Very interesting. So th some these emotions that you talk about, you say there are seven emotional, uh, seven essential emotions um, can, can you kind of run those down for us? Yeah. Cause I never yeah. thought that there were a total of seven. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, uh, in total, there's over 250 emotions and we can feel, uh, uh, multiple of them at the same time, very often, mostly not aware of it. Um, and emotions are the most powerful, uh, driver of our behaviors and it, it, they run like an automatic program, um, in us, but, so just that said, emotions are much more powerful in, in driving and predicting behaviors than our rational thoughts. And it has to do with our evolution that we learn certain emotions over time to survive and to thrive. Now, having that said, it's very hard to learn 250 emotions. Uh, that's even hard for me that have been learning in that domain for a long time. So I brought it down saying, if we talk about creating positive change to, to, to create a positive future for us and for, for the ones we care about, then what are the most important ones? Which are the most essential ones? So I, it, through observation, through research, and also confirmed through research of others, I came to these seven. Now, the, the, the first three of those sevens are empathy, which drives caring. And it is the emotional empathy that drives caring. It is uh, compassion, which commits us to act on that caring, which commits us to serve the needs of other people, to pull the child out of the river when it falls in. We're not only standing by and suffering with the child, we are jumping in or we take a rope or whatever to pull it out. And the third fundamental one is interest, which drives basically understanding the leader that wants to create change needs to understand what his or her stakeholder need, 
what are the most important needs they have, being it their investors, being it their clients, being it their employees, et cetera, et cetera. But they also need to understand the solutions. And that can be sometimes very complex if we talk about like you know, transforming healthcare or education or ending a war. So if the political leaders, they have or financial system, transforming the financial system to make it more secure for people. So that takes interest to understand. So that's the third emotion of those three, empathy, compassion, and interest built the foundation uh, for any leader who uh, who wants to, to uh, you know, to care and serve and, uh, and understand. Now, based on, on the understanding of the needs and the issues, a leader then has to create a, a vision, like how if the, the situation is currently a challenge, like we have a war going on in, in the Ukraine, we don't want, right? The people are suffering and we are empathetic beings and we are compassionate to help people. So what are the so solutions? We know what the people need, they want peace. But what are the solutions? So we need to create a vision of how the future would look like. So a leader needs to create that vision. Uh, and when we, when we listen to leaders like Zelensky, he's repeating it again and again. He was, I was just listening to him yesterday. He said, we want to live in peace. We want to we care for our families. We care for our community and so on. So the leader needs to be able to vision in order to create a vision, a positive vision of the future, an aspiring vision of the future that leader needs to uh, to be optimistic he cannot be uh, it cannot be a leader that lives in, in 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 emotions that pull him in the past or her in the past no like uh, pessimism or resignation which is the worst right saying we cannot create change so it needs to be optimistic because optimism is a forward looking it pulls you forward and you believe if, if with the right resources and the right help, I'm able to create that future. That's the fourth emotions. And the fifth one is once I have created a vision and 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 I want to, then I need to mobilize people. And in order to mobilize people to help me create that vision, sometimes it's, it's, it's a handful of people. Sometimes it's hundreds, sometimes thousands. And for a leader of a country, it might be millions of it that mm. I need to create that change. That is inspiration. Inspiration is a, is a sustainable energy that mobilizes people in an ongoing way, not just one time, not just one day, but they are. Uh, so that's the that's the fifth one. And, and the sixth one is a leader needs to be able to coordinate. Now you have all these people show up that want to, I'm signing up to create that change with you. I follow you, Richard. Uh, I love your vision. And I believe in you as a leader. The, the, the next one is really that you create that you are able to um, to coordinate effective actions towards that vision and that that emotion is trust without trust there's no collaboration possible i i have led teams uh, across the globe and had very often trust issues and I, if i did not focus on helping to create people trust trust in me as a leader me and the people and and the people uh, among each other to create that trust collaboration would not be uh, possible and I could not coordinate effective action. So that's the sixth one. Now people are now on the way in creating this wonderful new company or, or, or this new change vision, whatever it is. Uh, it might be a change in their own family uh, as well. And uh, issues happen, right? Pandemics happen, unexpected, you know, death happens. So things pull us back and we, we experience suddenly adversities 
The weather is changing from one day to the next. And it throws that back. And what a leader needs to do then, the leader needs to be resilient, him or herself, but also needs to foster resiliency among the people that, that help to, uh, to move uh, everything forward. So resiliency is very important, but resiliency, um, uh, uh, what feeds resiliency, what fuels resiliency is, is a whole range of positive emotions. So I lump them together as the seventh emotional state, which is positivity, but which could be a combination of emotions such as joy, such as hope. Hope is a wonderful one. If Even if we don't know how we're going to overcome that challenge, mm -hmm. how we overcome that pandemic, it's pushing out one year to the next. We have hope one day we will overcome it. Right. So hope is a wonderful one. Uh, 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 gratefulness is a wonderful one. So there's a lot of uh, positive emotions that can help us in times of adversity, uh, in times of setbacks uh, to be more resilient. So these are the seven emotional states and we can cultivate them. We can learn them and we can practice them every day. Reiner Lohm is my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much, uh, Reiner, for joining us here on the program. How did you, how did you get on this particular path? Was this something that you were raised with? This philosophy uh, that, say, your parents or your society uh, just had, as far as creating a more inclusive and sustainable world for all peoples? That's a wonderful question. I have been uh, thinking about that <laughs> very often. What, what, what are my inner drivers, right? So I grew up in a very small village in, uh, in a divided country uh, near, the, near to the border I, in West Germany, about 20 miles from the border to East Germany. So I, I grew up in a divided country. Uh, divided by uh, 4,500 long uh, border of fences and walls and so on. When the Berlin Wall was built, I was five years old. Uh, and it created a lot of suffering for people. Uh, so our dream that we club was we want to be united. Uh, and this was not to be a big country and powerful and so on. It was like because we had relatives on the other side. I have relatives in East Germany, I have relatives in, in Czech Republic. My mother's from the Czech Republic, my father's from Germany and so on. And uh, we could not be together. So so that like positive change in, in overcoming division, that was ingrained. But I also grew up in a family business. My, my, um, my family had small businesses like I grew up on a small farm. My father had a cabinet maker business, my grandfather mill business. And so on. that also defined our relationship. So from little on, everybody that touched our business, that was working in the business or clients, they were treated like family. They were invited to the family table. They were, you know, my, when somebody was visiting the farm, my, my parents dropped their work and took time to talk to them. So there was a very emotional relationship. Trust was important. Care was important. When it, my father's employee became sick, he would drop everything and go to the hospital and took care of the family and things like that. So, so I was, I think it was role modeled how we relate to people. Um, if there was a family that was thrown out, I remember uh, of their home, they, they had a rented uh, the, 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 the person that rent, they rented from their place and the large family, lived a lot, like five children and seven people, suddenly on the street. And I saw them on the street. They were thrown out. And my father immediately dropped all the work. He was on the council, on the village council. And he 
immediately mobilized everybody to find a home at least that they didn't have to sleep on the street. So I'm, I'm just, what I'm saying is sometimes these things are role modeled, how your parents or your teachers relate to others and they related in a very human way. Now they had gone through war and suffering uh, and had they had experienced atrocities, but they did not become bitter. You know, that was the nice thing for me. They never like, they were not so bad, so much backward looking, they were always forward looking, let's create something better from that experience. So I think there's some roots in that I, I have to say now, uh, I live in, the, you know, in another country, I live in the United States. And again, in a divided country, um, and it saddens me, but the, the only the only difference to the country I grew up, Germany, that was divided by by physical barrier, uh, we are divided by emotions. We are divided by resentment. We are divided by uh, 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 fear of each other. We, we are divided by anger, sometimes hatred even, which we see in these mass shootings and so on. And we have to overcome we have to overcome uh, those barriers. And that can only be created if we create an emotional shift. So back to your question is, we have these huge challenges in the world that, that jeopardize the future of our children and future generations. Uh, I care about that. I deeply care about that. And uh, in order to, we can solve those issues. I'm 100% convinced we have solutions, but only if we work together. Again, we, in order to work together, we have to come overcome the division and in order to overcome the division we need to create this emotional shift so that's why i do the work i'm doing and it's a lot that's a big inspiration for for for, for the book for aspire <laughs> i don't know why but all of a sudden in the back of my mind i heard this voice uh responding to what you were just talking about and your dream and, and how how this came about and uh, based upon what this voice, which is not my higher self, mind you, uh, all of a sudden I'm hearing, what, Reiner, what, are you crazy? This will never happen. We'll destroy ourselves before. <laughs> and, of course, I'm the optimist. I'm the glass half full kind of guy. I've often wondered, though, what the glass is half full of. I, I'm not sure. Maybe I don't want to go there. It's kind of like not wanting to know how the sausage is made. But anyway... Uh, I'm very optimistic about our future uh, as a society, as a civilization, not just the United States, but all across the globe. I take it you are, too. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't have written this book because this book just it screams, you know, optimism, as is one yes. of the emotions. Yes, yes, absolutely. Richard, I I, uh, I don't think we can afford to be not optimistic. <laughs> Uh, but also, uh, again, this, this goes back to uh, we can cultivate uh, these emotions. We can cultivate optimism. Uh, when I facilitate um, innovation workshops in startups, in, in, in communities, in, uh, to, to, in, in large corporations and so on, to find solutions for challenges that, that, that people tackle, I have to facilitate exercises that that shifts people to uh, to optimism. Okay, mm. so now some people say this is a born optimist or this is a born pessimist. Now I have learned you can learn optimism. 
Now, for some, it might be a little bit harder, be like you know, any kind of skill. Somebody has a talent in something, you know, somebody might throw a ball very well and they become, if they practice enough, they become a good basketball player. Uh, uh, maybe, you know, they play even in the top league and things like that. But the same here, sure, there's some people that, are, that maybe have a little bit more affinity to optimism than others. However, you can, if you're mentally healthy, okay, I'm talking about, not a disturbance, like you're not depressed, like clinically depressed. And, and if somebody is in that state, they need, coaching is not enough. Somebody needs therapy and needs, you know, psychotherapy and so on. But if somebody is, 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 is mentally healthy, can, each person that I have seen can, can learn more optimism. And, we, and that's the exercises that I suggest in the book. And to understand a little bit how these shifts can be created to more optimism. Now, then that enables really change uh, once we're in a state of optimism. Well, and there is also a challenge uh, to deal with, and that has to do with this concept that you just referred to by word, change. People have a... <laughs> They have a real hard time with this aspect of change. Um, and I'm wondering how you are able to help people to understand that change is the natural. Uh, <laughs> it's the way the universe works. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's uh, I have once. Um, uh, uh, read a um, metaphor about about change. Uh, the metaphor was like a person in the river, uh, like a river with, with a strong draft, like pulling a person away. But the person doesn't want to be pulled away by the river and holds on to the to root or something, the branch. And the person, the, the metaphor was going along that way, saying you can only hold as so long, that long on, and, and there's a certain point you you don't you're not strong enough. To, to stay where you are and you need to go with the river. Why not go with the river right away and save your energy and so on? I love that metaphor. Um, I used it several times when I lost people in life, like people that were close to me and said, I have to let go of that branch that I hold on and go with the river. And suddenly life becomes much easier. <laughs> but I, I would also say uh, that the concept of change, there's two, uh, two paradigms of change. One is, Change is happening to us, and and it might hurt us. It might be risky. It might we might be afraid of it. And what do we? Do? How do we react to it? So the people saying, okay, let me predict the change that's going to happen, and then I'm I'm figuring out a strategy to react to react to it so that I'm at the end come out well. But the other way to to think about change is also what is my change vision. Mm -hmm. And 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 then say, okay, that's back to the leader, right? The leader creates a change vision, creates a, 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 a vision. Like if you had a magic wand, how would you, what would you aspire to? The, that's why the title of Aspire, aspire to the future to look like for you. Let's just start with you as a, as a human being. And then what are the steps that I, that I need to take to get there if I had enough time? If I just give it enough time, and then very often people say, ah, oh, this is in the way I don't have enough money or I, I need to work all day long and I'm at night, I'm too tired, whatever it is. Or, uh, so this cannot be done. But the point is by identifying what the barriers are 
And very often it's it's a mental barrier. Very often it's an emotional barrier. I write in the book about emotional barrier. They are the strongest that hold us hold us back. When we know those, now in coaching, I shift, I, I help people identify those emotional barriers and then help them create a shift to overcome those barriers. Our brain has a, a wonderful mechanism. It's, uh, and that, that's found out by research, is one of the, um, the, the researchers in emotional psychology. She found out is when, when we identify this, she called it mental contrasting. If we identify, so we have a vision of a future, we dream of something. And if we identify the barrier, if we can name the barrier, our brain will come up with solutions automatically in the background, subconsciously to overcome those barriers. But we have to name and identi identify and name the barriers. And I, I experience that very often. I have no solution to a problem in the evening. I name the problem. Maybe I write it down in my journal and, and what is in the way in the morning, suddenly I wake up and have some idea how to deal differently with it. Mm. And so our brain has this wonderful capacity. Does it always work? No, but it, very often it works. Um, so in, in, in my uh, leadership workshops, in, in my innovation um, workshops and so on, I deliberately lead somebody through that process of identifying the dream they have, but then also the barriers that are in the way of achieving that dream. And those barriers were created years and years and years ago, probably in our childhood, uh, that are still affecting the choices that we make. And I know that there were a lot of folks out there, such as yourself, who are helping people, wanting help to help people to, uh, so to speak, break down those barriers so that we can start taking a look at these seven different emotions that I think are extremely important for us to look at. And I'm going to just run down them real quickly. They are empathy, compassion, um, interest, optimism, inspiration, trust, and positivity. All from the book Aspire by Reiner Lohm. And we are on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, Reiner, I want to I, I want to to talk to you more about uh, these these uh, not only these emotions that you have listed as the the main chapters, if you will, the seven main chapters, but you also have a preface regarding uh, the um, well the intangible force. Talk to us about uh, that. I mean, I could start throwing out all kinds of names, but uh, rather than do that, what is the intangible force? Yeah, and the distinction I'm making here uh, uh, between intangible and tangible is uh, tangible is something we can see, we can touch, we can explain, and so on. We, we, we can wrap our brain around and so on. Uh, and intangible is, and it is obviously a, a metaphor description of the emotions that are very in invisible, not as tangible for us. It's not something a person... Uh, or maybe your listeners think about it. Every time you do something, you take an action or you're kept from taking an action, you uh, you think about, oh, what's the emotion that is holding me back, right? That's not what person, like if somebody goes down a road and and, and the police car stands there and, and because there's an accident, so we, oh, this is a tangible barrier. There was an accident, now there's a police car and we need to take a detour. But if there is uh, like, uh, we go down the road and we somehow there's some fear coming up in us or some emotion saying, I cannot go on. Something happens to me. I need to take another road. I, for whatever reason, that is becomes intangible, intangible. And we have these things in life, right? When we 
anxieties. Anxiety is an emotion where we, uh, where we don't know why we have the anxiety. We cannot identify it. Fear, we can say, oh, there's danger coming. There's somebody, there's an accident, or there is, uh, uh, if I go down that, uh, that cliff there, I fall into the ocean or something. So I can see the danger, I can see the risk. But with anxiety, that's the problem. We don't know. We have anxiety. We have some anxiety about something, but we cannot name it. So that comes. So these are more intangible things. These are barriers, but they are also emotions that um, are positive uh, that that help us to to lead the life we want to lead. Hmm. Now, in in the preface, um, I'm, I'm using the 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 the, uh, the metaphor, the example of, the, of of the wall, the fall of the wall. And uh, this is a wonderful example that um, I grew up um, near the border to East Germany. And, and I, I personally, when the wall came down, I was in Cuba. Uh, that, that night on November 9th, 1989, I was woken up in the middle of the night uh, with loud noise out, outside. And I was actually quite frustrated or angry that people would scream outside and would not respect uh, people's sleep and so on. So, I, so I, I got up and opened the door and I wanted to tell them, please shut up or be quiet. And the people were screaming so loud and they screaming at me, the wall came down, the wall came down. And so, um, so I didn't say anything because I thought they were totally crazy. So I was so, so I went back, I told my wife, they're totally crazy. I cannot even talk to them. I cannot talk to crazy people. They, they said the wall came down. So I shook my head, went to bed and not believing it. The reason why I was not believing it because I was never optimistic. I didn't have the optimism that the wall ever could come down. And the reason was experience the power of, of the Warsaw Pact, the Soviet Union. I grew up with the military building up on both sides. Um, at some time, I was drafted into the military myself. I was stationed at the border to check when my cousin was stationed on the other side. Uh, and, and I was in the Air Force there. So I, for me, this, this was such an, a, a barrier that could not be, uh, be overcome. So that was intentional. I did not think about optimism or pessimism. I just felt that it would not come down. Now, when I learned later, the wall had come down. Mm. And uh, later, I used it as a leadership case. I, I studied uh, uh, the emotional shift that it need that is acquired in order to bring the wall down. And the situation was that in the summer of, uh, this was a few months before the wall came down, in the summer of, um, this was July uh, 1989, in the city of Leipzig, uh, where everything started really, the, 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 the uh, peaceful revolution in East Germany, uh, people were still very pessimistic. The, the police were still uh, beating people up, put them in prison, uh, and, and a friend of mine, uncle, she's also in the book, she actually, because of that pessimism, she, she decided to escape. And she escaped through Hungary and then to, um, to Yugoslavia and Greece and made it uh, to, to West Germany. But uh, then in, in uh, August, September, suddenly an emotional shift occurred. There was the, the Monday peace prayers uh, in the Nikolai Kirche. There was two, two pastors that were, were uh, facilitating those peace prayers. After the peace prayers, people would just peacefully demonstrate in the streets. First, there were a handful of people. Um, beginning of September, September 4th, the uh, first Monday. And then every Monday, the, the, the number of people uh, increased exponentially. By the time, this was October, I think it was October uh, 
14th, I believe, Monday, October 14th, uh, no, no, 23rd, uh, October 23rd, 320,000 people were demonstrating in a city, Leipzig, of 500,000 people. So where more people were marching in the streets than were watching them from the windows. And the, this was so big that the police could not do anything. You cannot, you cannot beat up 320,000 people and put them in jail. So every single person that had taken the courage and had found the optimism that if I go out that night to the street, I can help to have an impact. That was, that, that's for me, that was such a powerful example how every single person can help to create positive change. That's how the, basically two and a half weeks later, uh, the wall came down and it was, it was driven through that um, large scale movement. So millions of people around the country were demonstrating peacefully in that way and demanding uh, free travel and, and free, uh, free elections. Extraordinary, just extraordinary. Uh, I, and I have to say too, you know, there's a phrase that is often used when uh, uh, certain things are written, for example, or laws are made, you know, they'll say, you know, <clears throat> you know, that uh, it isn't written in concrete. And quite honestly, even if it is, concrete can be broken. Because uh, we saw that with the wall, which is what it was mostly made of was concrete. Um, anything can be changed, literally anything. And there's a, there's an old saying here about how you can't change other people. You can only change yourself. But I have learned that the reality is that you can change other people by changing yourself. Uh, but that, but your intent is not to change others. That, that is not your intent. Your intent is to change yourself, which hopefully will encourage others to change as well, to develop a, a, a better world. Uh, and, um, and, and that's one of the things that we are here uh, talking about here with Reiner Lohm and his book, Aspire. I love the seven emotions, seven essential emotions for leading positive change, no matter where you are. There, I, use, I like to use another example as well. You probably agree with me on this in terms of change. There was a man who uh, lived in South Africa, and he was part of a rather radical, violent group that wanted change. And he was arrested and he was put in jail for 25 years. And in there, he made a decision that he could either choose to continue down the path he's been going and maybe be dead, you know, long before his real time, or he could start looking at the world a little differently. Well, of course, we all know who this man was. He became the president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela. One of the things I think that that you, uh, I'm curious as to your perspective. It and I mean, well, I shouldn't even ask the question because no matter where you are, I've often said this about choices, and we talk about choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. It doesn't matter where you are; you always have choices. Here's the question that I have for you, though, in that regard. If you don't know that those choices exist, 
How can you choose them? And to that point, how do you learn about other choices when wanting to uh, aspire, inspire change and aspire to be a leader of change for all people? Yeah, this is this is uh, it is wonderful. I mean, I love the example that you gave. This is uh, Mandela's one of my big role models uh, when it comes of practicing uh, these uh, seven emotions. Um, I, I would just to make a, a side note here that if he uh, if he had not practiced these emotions, uh, such as compassion for all South Africans, including his white guards that mm-hmm. um, was were keeping him in prison for such a long time and watching him and so on. If he would not have practiced compassion to all South Africans, I, I, I doubt that South Africa would have go, gone through that transition peacefully. Mm. And apartheid might still be in place today. Or it might have been become very ugly uh, yeah. and, and so, uh, so I think this is this is really an example. I also uh, with 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 Nelson Mandela, what I admired, I think he developed the vision. Uh, in that present, he had time to think about, but he ne- never gave up learning. Mm-hmm. He never gave up uh, thinking about others. He helped other prisoners through the secret phone messaging and things like that. He always kept interested. He smuggled newspapers in and he kept always, even if the, the guards didn't give him uh, that information and so on. So a lot of the emotions that I describe in, in, in Aspire, he, he practiced all the time. And a lot, of, a lot of the things that I learned, I learned from him as well as from other leaders. But um, the point of the change that, that you're talking about, that we don't know what the choices are, uh, very often we don't know. Sometimes we are in an emotional state that things look so dark that we don't think, in, in, in the extreme, it's depressed. We are depressed or we are even become resigned, saying there's no possibility for me to act and I give up, which is the worst, the worst that can happen. Now, Viktor Frankl described that in his book, A Man's Search for Meaning. He was, in the, um, he was a Jewish uh, psychologist um, in, uh, in concentration camps during Nazi Germany. And he described, actually, uh, he observed two types of behavior. One, the people that gave up and, 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 and um, uh, that, that is a reaction to, to, to a challenge situation. Mm-hmm. They didn't see another option. Uh, my father described the same thing. He was in a war prison in Africa for, for five years in b- very bad conditions. He described exactly the same thing that he observed that Viktor Frankl uh, described as well. And so Viktor Frankl, uh, he, he, he just described it very eloquently in his book is saying, uh, you, you have always a choice. You can like postpone your reaction. You can give your brain a little bit time to react until you've, you give it time to, to come up with some other options. So in, in, the, in the concentration camp, it was basically not to, to react in a way that you would provoke the SS guards and then possibly kill you or put you in a, in, you know, in, in, in a bad situation and, and things like that. And so he said, those that had learned to postpone their reaction, they, survived, they had a higher chance to survive. Mm. So I would also say, in when I, what I work, observe in corporate environments or in community leadership environments, those people that take more time to react, that 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 pause. I, I, I coach actually people in saying postpone your reaction. 
even if there's something that that hits you and say this is not right postpone your reaction especially in intercultural where we have different value system interaction sometimes we see something as bad but the person doesn't mean bad right yeah so what i'm suggesting is uh, to your listeners is basically to say if you don't know right now how you what you can do about this situation give it a little time and also know that there may be somebody out that can help you with it maybe there's help there maybe it's a night of sleep maybe it is just, if you don't have the time but if you have at least 5 minutes that 5 minutes might give you the time to come up with some options that 5 minutes before you did not see or you can make a phone call to somebody and saying well i don't know what to do here um uh, very often my coaching clients call me in in a crisis moment um and and i pick up obviously if i'm not on another call i pick up the phone that con- that 5 10 minute conversation together just listening and 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 giving a little bit time helps the, the person to suddenly to come up with new options that they did not see before mm. well and and that's really important for us to do now at the same time you don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time uh you know i mean waiting 5 minutes that's that's a good thing 5 days 5 weeks 5 months 5 years nothing gets done you know nothing happens nothing there's no change right and, and that's one of the reasons why every time I hear about uh, these uh, these um, uh, things that they want to do on a governmental level, it doesn't matter what level of government we're talking, national, state, city, county, what have you. And all of a sudden you will you will hear the words, um, let's spend $60,000 to hire uh, a research committee to figure out whether or not blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, really? Now, the reason I bring that up is where does our intuition come into play here when you know and I know just by that inner voice or that gut feeling, yeah, we should do plan A because it has fewer repercussions, whereas plan B has more detrimental repercussions a uh, plan c totally unworkable because blah 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 and it's hard to get people to hear you because you're talking about something they can't put a finger on and that's your gut feeling or your your intuition yeah yeah and that's a leadership challenge no so very often the leader i mean I, i'm talking about a real leader mm-hmm. has this intuitive intuition intuitive uh, capabilities to say this is the right thing this is to where we should go now and we don't have 5 days or 5 weeks or or 5 years to build a committee and figure this out uh, now very often in in large organizations or in 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 society and so on um leaders uh, they, they want to build an insurance right kind of saying mm. i want data I have been in the corporate world and leaders that did want didn't want to make a decision they said let's get the data first right so it's a risk at worst so because every time you follow your in- intuition you also uh, you also take a more risky path right because you don't have the data but you might like your inner process <laughs> might still have all the data but it's not you cannot explain it right? yeah 
saying like it's my intuition it's the right way to do now like military is, is a wonderful example I, I i'm i'm saying in terms of because it is very often it's it's a life and death situation where a leader has to make an intuitive decision that there's no time like when it's about saving somebody's life yeah let's get the data first is he really in risk at risk right the leader has to, or somebody, or or, mm-hmm. or or buddy has to act. I think I think my colleague is is at risk, and I need to do something to save his his or her life, and so on. So there's these situations. Now in the in in the corporate world, we often we act like we have time. <laughs> um, I was when I when I started at HP, Hewlett Packard. Um, this was 1988, and I was uh, I was um, put into or asked to join a task force. To, to, to investigate or to come up with a plan to start a new software business. HP was a hardware company. Software was just, there was no company in the world that had made $1 billion in software at that time. There was like Microsoft and they were all not that big as today, uh, those companies, right? Uh, and uh, so so this, I loved it. I was totally fired up. I believed that um, that this was the future in, in IT. That was the next generation thing. And I, I thought wonderful things could be done with it. And I was really inspired and so on. And I, I was just there not very long and I was still new. And there were coffee breaks. We were just a small task force in the room locked away, but we walked out and got the coffee. And, and a senior... Um, HP person that worked in the hardware and hardware engineering field, I walked by and introduced himself. I said, "What well, you know?" I introduced my name and he said, "What are you working on?" I said, "We're well, building a billion-dollar software business." <laughs> and I, I just blurted it out without really thinking. I, I was half half humorous but half serious too, um, and and it was a little bit subcon came out of my subconscious mind, and he looked at me and said. Young man, you're in the wrong company here. We don't build software. <laughs> mm. And and so when I left HP 24 years later, uh, the, the the HP software business was uh, had grown from zero to four billion dollar business. It was one of the four or five largest software companies in the world at that time. So the only reason why it was able that there were people like me, I was not the only one, that were optimistic, that saying really change is really possible. And they were inspired to have a sustainable energy, even through tough times, even if when people said, we don't do that here, or we don't want you to do that here, which happened quite often over the years, and the people put roadblocks in place, you still needed people that did not give up. And so with any, I'm just using it as an example, like the fall of the wall, and I can give also, you know, smaller examples as well that I see every day. You have to have those people that have the optimism and that are also able to introduce and cultivate all these other emotions that are necessary to create the the aspirational positive change. It's interesting that you refer to these as emotions. Uh, I hadn't really, you know, I mean, happy, sad, uh, you know, and those types of things, anxious and what have you. But I, I actually can see uh, where these do fall under those categories. Uh, again, empathy, compassion, uh, interest, optimism, inspiration, trust, and positivity. Those are the, the seven main chapters that you folks can look into. Um, and uh, talk to us a little bit before we wrap things up here about the um, Aspire Leadership Model. Um, how does it differ from uh, some of 
A, some of the old models of you do it my way or else, you know. Uh, my last guest said that uh, he had a situation that he'd heard about where, <laughs> especially now that people want to work, they're finding out that they'd rather work from home. The company that came, the company came to them and said, "All right, we want everybody to work 60% in the office and 40% at home." And the employees all said they didn't unionize, mind you, but collectively they said, uh, "No." We want to work from home. So, okay, well, how about 20% in the office? Okay. <laughs> and so the, 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 uh, uh, the, the, the leadership uh, sort of, I would have to say, more acquiesced rather than led. So what, yeah. about, what about the old models versus the new ones and the Aspire leadership model? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's obviously there's so many leadership models out there over over decades that developed. It is, you know, like the uh, one that you're referring to is more autocratic and kind of I tell people what to do and I enforce my way by power, by hierarchy and, and, and so on versus the more participatory uh, democratic way of let's uh, or con finding a consensus and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one way of looking at at leadership. And and obviously in the military we have the more hierarchical and now modern companies, some of the startups they, they experiment with more participatory uh, type of um, of leadership models. Uh, in, in Germany we haven't even institutionalized it with the Betriebsrat, which is work, workers' council. Uh, they sit on the board of, of of companies as well, so they have a legal right to uh, to influence where the company is going. Now, the other type of leadership model is uh, is more like process and behavioral focused. It's just looking at the process and the behaviors of, of leadership. Um, and But it doesn't look so much, well, some might look at the drivers like values or beliefs and so on. They're a little bit more tangible, they can express them. Mm -hmm. But typically people don't look at what, what are the underlying, like the feelings of people. And they, they forget that people are, uh, uh, that human beings are f f emotional beings. They feel and that that feeling, that moment, maybe not aware, being aware of it, or the leader not being aware how the pe people are feeling about the decision, like if I shove it down their throat, right, a decision, uh, and, and, and therefore, like doing the wrong things and showing the wrong behavior. So uh, the, the big difference with this model is actually it can, it, can, it can enhance any other leadership model. Because by knowing how people feel and how should they feel in order to so that I can positively influence them. So, for example, if the leader, in this case that you're saying, moving from, from a, a work at home to a more hybrid model, that people come in some days what about if you inspire them if you if you discuss and share and maybe even let them contribute what would be the the benefit of such a model for you also for your personal your career growth and for your success in your work so for example there's 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 good data that says work at home for for like working by ourselves on a project that's well defined much more productive but when it comes to creating something together for innovation, not the best idea. We need to be in the same room and we, you know, we, we, we have the white walls and we, we, we all draw our ideas and we put our heads together. And so, so now a leader 
knowing that can can inspire the employees and say you can we can create much more together if we spend a couple of days a week <laughs> together yeah right so that's just an example yeah. and I know too that um, uh, uh, this other aspect uh, the thought occurred to me that you know maybe it might be economically beneficial to have people working say 60 percent at home 40 percent at the at the workplace and and stagger stagger the employees forty percent time in the office to the point where they the company could then downsize to a smaller building that's not so expensive. So the employees in essence have just saved the company, who knows, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in rentals in, in uh, office space. I grant that probably doesn't do a great job for the the building owner, but I'm sure that there's a company that would, you know, yeah, yeah. that would take yeah. over the space and and so forth and so on. Um, very very interesting stuff, and I know there's so many different areas that we could uh, we could tap into on this program, and and I know that uh, you would be more than happy to do that. Uh, and and maybe we will. We'll have you back maybe to talk further about this because there are so many different areas uh, in in regards to leadership. Uh, and some of these can be tied not just into business, but into other areas of our lives, our our home life. Uh, matter of fact, uh, we were talking again with this other guest about leadership in the home. You know, and not a dictatorial kind of thing, not not one of those situations where even from a religious standpoint, I use that term as opposed to philosophical, where the man is the ruler of the house and the woman will be subservient and the children will obey their mother and their, and, you know, and I mean, it's like, lighten up, you know, come on, you, you know, this, we are all human beings and we're all trying to coexist together and we don't need an iron fist to tell us, you know, um, it's, it's like when, when I hear people, for example, talking about climate change, uh, you know, and so forth, or whatever other term you want to use. And I say, you know what? I don't care about the science. You can throw the science out. Here's my argument. Why don't we just clean up our home? Could we just do that? Could we just clean up our home? There's no science involved, you know? Uh, you know, we've got this little stretch of beach over here. And then I saw this great commercial, by the way, for one of these car uh, companies where this guy, uh, he puts hooks up to his trailer hitch, this, uh, this sort of curved rake and he rakes the sand and he gets up all of these bottles and this and that and the other thing so that the turtles that are coming in to, uh, uh to, uh, uh, lay their eggs, We'll have a clean beach on which to do it. And I thought, oh, there you go. Okay, it's a small, very small place. But everybody does their little part, and it's not so big after all. There's 8 billion people here. Yeah. <laughs> My wife and I live in a two-room cottage that's no more than 1,000, maybe 1,200 square feet. How hard is that to keep clean? And we do it once a week, run the vacuum, we do the dishes, we do the laundry, change the bedding, da 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 da, da. clean up all the fur from the animals because we want to live in a, in a clean home. And you let that go for very long and 
you might as well throw dirt on the floor or have dirt floors, you know, um, and and sleep on a board, uh, that kind of thing, and uh, eat the food with your hands right out of the container. <laughs> but you know, we don't want to do that. So um, I think that this is this is something that we can talk further about. Wonderful. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. And uh, Reiner Lom, uh, I want to thank you for being with us as well as to share with us Aspire. That's the title of the book. It is Seven Essential Emotions for, for Leading Positive Change No Matter Where You Are. And this is Tell Me Your Story. Reiner, I want to ask you three final questions I ask all of my guests. You may have answered them during the interview. You may even answer one of them while you're answering one of the others. But I like to ask each one of them directly. Before I do, I want to let you know how much I appreciate you folks listening to and watching. Tell me your story. New paradigms for a new world as we give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. That's our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And uh, we have... Uh, a live stream at those times at richarddugan.com. We also have podcasts at richarddugan.com from SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. We are also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. We will also be linked to uh, Reiner's um, uh, uh, website, and uh, we are going to give that to you because we want you to continue to follow up. And I gave it at the beginning of the program. It is boomerangcoach.com. Boomerangcoach.com in the book, of course, Aspire. We uh, ask that you subscribe to the uh, uh, podcasts and video casts so that you can be notified of new interviews posted on those platforms. We also ask that if you can financially support the work we are doing, we would be gratefully appreciative. And uh, well, that's why we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. There's a link on the homepage at richarddugan.com where you can click on it and it takes you right there. And uh, whatever amount you choose to give, we'll take energetic support as well. And we also ask that you participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, where we ask you to go within, spend some time. You can call it meditation. You can call it prayer. It doesn't matter. It's listening to that still, small voice. And we hope that you will take the time to do that. I try to as much as I can, uh, but I am always listening for the promptings, even when I'm walking down the street and maybe, a, oh, you know, you need to turn left here. Then you can turn right and da-da-da-da-da. So it doesn't hurt one thing. With that, we now move to our three final questions. And the first of those three questions is, who is Reiner Lohm? I would say I'm, I'm, I'm a human being, a friend to you. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking to all your <laughs> listeners. Uh, who um, really aspires to be a multiplier uh, for good in the world, for, for, for greater good in the world. Uh, I want to bring out the best in people. Uh, anybody I interact with as a, as a client or as a, as a friend or a family member or a community member uh, to, to multiply the capability of that person to, to create good in the world. 
What is it that you hope to or want to achieve with the, uh, through the work that you are doing now? Uh, my main, main, main mission, uh, which has been my main mission for, for many years now, is really to, to mobilize uh, people and, and um, help develop them into leaders that, uh, that create uh, a better future, that uh, creates a future uh, that our children and grandchildren, future generations, have a good chance to, uh, to further develop and thrive. And finally, what is your life's purpose? It's really connected to, to what I said. I, um, I want to, um, to help to do my part in, uh, in creating a better future, a sustainable future. Um, I, I want to help preserve this planet for future generation. And it has a, a, almost a spiritual meaning to me. It has not almost, it has a spiritual meaning to me. I think that is my purpose here. Well, Reiner Loma, I want to thank you again for joining us here on the program. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, I really appreciate your insights and uh, sharing with us Aspire, uh, the work that you have uh, released. And I hope people will get in touch with those seven emotions, not necessarily in that order, but nonetheless, they're all there for people to uh, to experience. And maybe many of us, we've experienced some of them already. And let's revisit those because... Uh, it will make this world a better place and it'll make each of us, I think, better people uh, as we move through them. So thank you. Thank you very much. I wanted to make one correction. Uh, my, my new website is rhinolomp.com um, and you can, uh, you can find uh, the, the information about uh, the work that I'm doing and if you, how to get in contact with me and about Aspire as well. All right, but the old website will also redirect automatically sure. to the new one. Well, so we'll link a... to reinerlum.com uh, and that way people go directly there. Uh, and we thank you so much. And again, I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.